lesson for this morning is using God's gift to avoid anger. And our text is in James chapter 1, verse 16 through 20, which reads as follows. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God bless the reading of his word, and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity and with boldness and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Well, now, thank you very much for coming to hear the message for today. And before we begin this lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful and intelligent matter. In our last lesson, we reviewed the purpose of wisdom in our lives, that being to help us live our lives in such a way that at the end of our lives, we have a resume that indicates that we took on the task that the Lord set to our hands, even as Jesus took on the cross and became our intercessor at the right hand of God. And while it will probably not be ours to endure the cross, we are admonished to run the race that God has given us to run with endurance, taking on the trials that our race entails. Well, how do we do that? What is the key to serving God in the way that he wishes? In case we lack clarity as to what we can, as to how we can do God's will in his way that his kingdom might come, James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8 tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives the all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, if we lack wisdom, we can receive it from God. An excellent scriptural example is the great king of Israel, Solomon, who was a young man when his father David on his deathbed bequeathed the kingdom to him. First Kings chapter two, verse one through four records, now all the day, now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong therefore, and prove yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. 
that the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke to me, con- spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So Solomon received the charge from his father David to walk in the way of truth before God, keeping God's statutes and commandments. And although Solomon received the charge, he was a young man and not completely equipped to carry it out. Although David trained his son well enough that he taught Solomon what to do to get God's attention, and that was to offer God an exceptional offering. Solomon did so, and the episode is recorded in the scriptures, beginning in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3 through 5, which says, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? Solomon knew his deficiency, and he proceeded to ask God to meet his need in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 6 through 9. And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is, is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now, Solomon's request pleased God because it met the guidelines of prayer that James gives us in James chapter 4, verse 2 through 3, which tells us in part why actions and prayers are sometimes ineffective, as it says... You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Solomon asked for wisdom, not so that he could amass a fortune, a greater kingdom, or the death of his enemies, but Solomon asked for wisdom so that he could discern between good and evil. You may remember our review last week of the activities of our first parents who were deceived by the lies of the devil. Wisdom in decision-making allows us to see the snares that the serpent has set for us and to avoid them because of our awareness of them. God believes in forewarning us about impending calamity with his word. And we could avoid most of the mistakes that we make in life if we went to bed every night praying a prayer based upon the sentiment that Solomon expressed in his prayer in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 6 through 9, and meaning that which we say. Because God honors this type of prayer as he shows in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 10 through 15, which says, The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, 
and not ask long life for yourself, nor ask riches for yourself, nor ask for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall, be, there shall not be anyone like you among all the kings all of your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and make a, made a feast for all his servants. So now, we generally know what it is that we want when we pray. But Solomon recognized, as did Jesus when he gave us the model prayer and when he prayed in Gethsemane, that we often lack the foresight to make good decisions about the future and that it is better for us to receive that which God considers the best for us than to have our wishes come true. In our immaturity, we often fail to consider all facets of a circumstance before we make a decision. And without the intervention of the wisdom of God, we may overlook a crucial component of the situation that would change the course of our situation. Now my wife and I have an ongoing discussion about the fact that I write my sermons only hours before I preach them and I'm often printing the bulletins and completing the PowerPoint presentation early on Sunday morning. And as I was writing this sermon, I reflected on the first time I had to give a major presentation after my promotion to management at Michigan Bell many years ago. I was given a particular process to analyze to determine whether or not it would be productive for the company to implement the process. And about three days before the presentation was due, I had the text and the handouts for my presentation completed. Of course, this was before PowerPoint was ubiquitous in corporate management. I went over my analysis daily in the days leading up to the presentation day. I took one last swing at it the night before and realized that something was incorrect in the calculations that I was about to present. Exactly what I miscalculated escapes me now almost 30 years later, but I needed, knew that I needed to redo the presentation. I was up all that night, and finally, early in the morning, I completed the presentation with a completely changed conclusion. I had enough time left to take a shower and put my suit on, and I went to the meeting with my recently revised presentation. Caffeine allowed me to be, able to be coherent during the presentation and to answer the question that senior management asked me. My district manager made the comment that it took a lot of courage for a new manager to tell him that his idea was all wet and I assured him that I was not aware of his position on the idea, either pro or con, but that I was only presenting the conclusion to which the facts led me. And I still, to this day, go over presentations at the last minute to check them because I know that I need to have my facts straight. And I think that the Lord blesses my thinking most at the last minute, and that may be why I wait until the end, although my wife is shaking her head because she's not buying today. But nevertheless, I am not under any illusions about my ability to develop coherent presentations, as James admonishes me in our text for this morning, which says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. 
I, like Solomon, recognize that any skill that I may have is not because of my ability, but because of my indwelling. Galatians 2.20 tells us, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. James reiterates this sentiment in our text today, James chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, which says, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Now, the good and perfect gift of which James is speaking in James 1.17 is the gift of wisdom, the knowledge and understanding of the word of truth. My knowledge of a proper course of action in any circumstance is a function of my ability to recall the information which the Lord has given me, has told me to learn, and has made the application clear to me. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He further admonishes us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Now, many associate the good and perfect gift of which James speaks in his writings with the power of God to rearrange reality, but the Bible itself testifies that its contents are the true gift from God. Jesus lets us know that the word of God is even a greater blessing than his own birth. As he says in Luke chapter 11, verse 27 and 28, and it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts that nurtured you. But Jesus said, more than that, blessed are those, that hear, those who hear the word of God and keep it. So now we have God's word we have, we know that God's word is that good and perfect gift that he has given us. And to have the effectual desire to learn and to follow God's commandments is more precious than his granting of any other desire that we might have. So how can we prepare ourselves to put this great gift of wisdom into practice? James gives us a three-point plan to implement the word of God. But because of the constraints of time, we will only be able to get to the first point today which is given in James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, which says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God tells us that wrath or anger has the effect of negating our ability to follow his commandments. The biblical example is that of Moses, the leader of the children of Israel, who lost his position of leadership because he allowed the constant complaining of the children of Israel 
to get under his skin when the Israelites once again reached a desert place in the wilderness in Numbers chapter 20, verses 2 through 5. The Bible says, Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Now, this complaint against Moses and Aaron is a constant one. The Israelites find it difficult to complain directly against God, and so they use Moses and Aaron as their whipping boys. The Israelites refused to obey Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, when they exhorted them to fight the required war to take the promised land in Numbers chapter 14. And now the Israelites are on a 40-year trek decreed by God, the objective of which is to allow all of the 600,000-plus men who were 20 years old or older when the Israelites refused the promised land to die in the wilderness. So because of the lack of water, Moses goes to the tabernacle, the place in which the Spirit of God dwells, to inquire of the Lord as to what they should do. Numbers chapter 20, verse 6 to 8 presents God's instructions. The Bible says, So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron gathered the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. But here, Moses made his tactical error. Rather than following the instructions of God to the letter, Moses improvised in order to vent his spleen, as number chapter 20, uh, in Numbers chapter 20, verse 9 and 10. The Bible says, so Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? We hear the blasphemy of Moses. Who is this we of whom Moses speaks? James tells us in our text, James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Lehman Strauss, in his book Sense and Nonsense about Prayer, relates the following story. A boy carrying a loaf of bread from the bakery to his house was stopped by his pastor. The minister said, Charles, where did you get that loaf of bread? From the baker, was the boy's reply. Yes, I know that, but where did the baker get it? He made it, said the boy. But how did he make it? The boy answered, Sir, he made it with flour. Tell me, where did he get his flour? He ground it from the grain. Do you know where he got his grain? Yes, sir, he got his grain from the farmer. The minister said, Now, Charles, I will ask you one more question, and I want you to think carefully before you answer. How did the farmer get his grain? The lad hesitated and replied, God made the grain grow. And that was exactly what the boy's pastor hoped he would say. You are right, Charles. Then when you get your loaf of bread, then you got your loaf of bread from God. So remember, 
when you sit down to supper tonight to thank God for it. And the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, is if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, in this episode in the book of Numbers, God was benevolently providing water for his people through the ministry of Moses. Moses' job in this case was roughly the same as mine here at the church, that being to speak the word of God in the way that he instructs me to speak it into the situations that we find ourselves. Moses was not instructed to admonish the people as God previously decided that the people committed a sin worthy of death and they would not be in need of admonishment until the 600,000 men who were destined to die were gone from the camp. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 gives us the formula for thinking in the way that God would have us to think. We are to think of those positive things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Of course, there are things in life that do not fit the preceding description, but those things that are negative are the things about which we are to supplicate, to pray, to diligently seek the mercy of God to fix, and the peace of God to endure. Some things cannot be fixed, but just have to be endured. Moses, as the leader, and as the one that exhorted Israel to go into the promised land at the behest of God, was stuck leading the Israelites through the wilderness. The famine and the thirst affected Moses as well as the other Israelites, even as it affected the next generation of Israelites that were not old enough to make the decision to enter the promised land when their elders refused. And sometimes, because of our association with others, we have to suffer for things that are not personally our fault, as do they because of their association with us. When we are in this situation, and we feel vengeful and resentful because of our situation, we should re remember the admonishment of James from our text. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, which says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The object lesson is that we should be able to avoid losing our temper and sinning when faced with the results of the sins of others. And God will be able to produce righteousness from our restraint. Many pe people feel that it is necessary to vent their spleen, with spleen when they are irritated, and they justify their position by saying they are only being honest. But God does not tell us to be honest about our negative feelings, but to be slow to speak and slow to wrath. Moses might have remembered before he started calling rebels that although he did not sin in the matter of the interest of the promised land, he himself was a murderer. So maybe he was not in the position to judge his peers after all. 
none of us has the righteousness required to admonish our brother. I can't really tell you what you cannot do based upon my spotless and sinless life because I do not have such a life. I am personally glad you're not following me around every day to listen to my conversation and see my actions because if you were, some of you might be so negatively impressed that you'd never come back again. But my counsel is not based upon my track record, however, but upon what God in his word tells me to tell you. For example, I can admonish you to not drink alcohol excessively, not because I've never been drunk, but based upon Ephesians 5.18, which instructs all of us, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So Moses was not instructed to be angry and call people names, but Moses was to glorify God by speaking to the rock that water might flow and refresh the people. Since God did not instruct that the people be admonished, Moses ought not have taken the initiative to do so on his own, but he did and reaped a penalty of his actions. Numbers chapter 20, verse 11 and 12 records, Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. So now let me ask you, how attractive do you find an angry person? How attractive do you find a person who holds a grudge? How attractive do you find someone that holds on to perceived injustices to use them as a club to beat the person wronged into submission? How easy is it for you to forget your sins and punish others when you get in a one-up position, as did Moses in Numbers chapter 20? I was listening to a woman that wanted to obtain a divorce being counseled about her marital problems. The therapist asked her, what has your husband done that justifies your desire to divorce him? He's controlling and emotionally abusive was her response. The therapist asked, well, if he were here, and I asked him what your faults would, would, were, what would, you say, what would he say? My fault, said the woman, is that I have put up with his emotional abuse too long. No, said the therapist, listen to my question. What have you done to contribute to your marital disharmony? I don't want to hear about what he has done. I want to hear about what you have done. The woman paused as she realized what the therapist was asking. Well, she said, the only thing I can think of is that I've been too tolerant of his faults. The therapist tried to focus the woman on the things that she may have done in the marriage by giving some examples of what she may have done to irritate her husband, but the woman denied any responsibility for the problems that she was having. As far as she was concerned, she was an angel married to the devil. Finally, the therapist gave up. You know, she said, I would need to talk to your husband to help you with your situation because the only person I can help is the one that needs to make a change. And according to you, you are the perfect wife and he is just a brute. I doubt that an objective assessment of your marital situation would bring us to that conclusion, but since I can't get any information from you about your part in this problem, going on with this conversation is counterproductive without your husband to tell me his side of the story. 
Now, it is easy to forget our own faults when faced with the faults of others, as did Moses in the example of the rock. God, however, has an impeccable record of that which we have done and deals with our sins accordingly. Moses, because of his forgetfulness of his own faults, died in the wilderness as did those who refused to go into the promised land because as James chapter 1 verse 20 tells us, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. As Christians, we need to redefine our reality. Because of our worldly orientation, we feel justified in being angry with others, especially when they are in the wrong, as people often are. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sins and fallen short of the glory of God. So there are, never have been, and never will be any perfect people with the exception of Jesus Christ. So my question is, what ought be our response to being wronged and how can we control our anger? Let me conclude our presentation for today with God's wisdom on the subject, which is given to us in several passages of scripture, beginning with Galatians chapter six, verse one and two, which tells us, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 12 admonishes, Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for revival, but reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the faces of the Lord is against those who do evil. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 to 21 instructs, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And finally, in our text, James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for this lesson. We thank you for the instruction. We thank you for the wisdom that you have given us from your word. And we ask you that you would help us with this because it is a difficult lesson. It may not be that difficult to understand, but it is exceedingly difficult to put into practice. But we ask you, Lord, 
that you would continue to give us the indwelling of your spirit to govern our tongues and to govern our attitudes that we might be able to live our lives in the way that you would have us to do so. And remember that we ought to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now we thank you for all who are in the house today, and we ask you that you give us traveling mercies on the treacherous highways as we go down from this place. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us another opportunity to come out to the house of prayer to uh, discuss your word, to uh, deal with the situations that are in it. And we ask you once again, Lord, that you would help this word to go into our hearts, that we might be able to implement it as we go down from this place. Now, we pray for those whom Dr. Allen is concerned about, Louis Quarterman, Bill Ewatt, and uh, his grandson, Lincoln. And we pray that all, are, that all is well in those lives. If there's healing needed, we ask you to do that in the name of Jesus. Praying for Sister Allen and those whom she's concerned about, we know that some of hers are medical and some of those are behavioral. And we ask you, Lord, that those whom she's asked us to pray for that aren't acting right, that you would allow the Spirit to work on them, that they might be, that you might be able to uh, give them motivation to act in the way that they should act. And we pray for those who are in need of healing, that they might also be, uh, receive that, that they might have a glorious testimony of your goodness and your mercy and your grace. And we pray for uh, Sister Marcia Beard and Julian and, and uh, Carlos Young. We ask you that you bless in their situation as well. Praying for Paul as he travels up and down the dangerous highway, we ask you that you would give him uh, good solutions to his problems, that you give him traveling mercies on the road, that we thank you that the price of gas is coming down and it's not as expensive as it once was, and we're asking you as well, Lord, that you allow him to make good decisions about his career as he is faced with those uh, situations in the coming weeks and months. Praying also for Rachel Demer's mother, for Mother Z. We ask you, Lord, that you would restore her, or give her form and function as she is recovering from that stroke. We just ask you to help in that situation. For the Rodriguez and the Tysons and Mother Versa and Johnny Mae Wills and Wendy Thompson, we ask you that you bless all of them for Teresa as well, and that you would go in the operating room with the doctor and give him that skill, even as you gave it to him on the last operation, that he would be able uh, to put the equipment in Sister Bard's leg in the same way he did in her heart. And we ask you to bless her as the 22nd is coming closer and closer. Also praying for uh, Rick over in Iraq. Bless him as he's there uh, dodging the bullets. And we ask you, Lord, that you keep him safe from all hurt, harm, and danger and bring him back safely. For Nikki and Brian and Sarah, we ask you, Lord, that you would uh, get into the situation with Eric and Amanda and that you would allow them to come to a saving knowledge of you that they might recognize the precarious nature of their situation and help them, Lord, uh, to make good decisions about what they're going to do with one another. Now, Lord, we also pray for Paul as he travels on the highway. We're praying uh, for Sister Carruthers that Brother Edwards has asked us to pray for. Bless her. For the Fullers over across the street in their store as we notice that it's closing for Sister Penny Rodula that Brother Rick has asked us to pray for. We ask you that you bless in all these situations as she's undergoing radiation. 
uh, that you would bless her and allow her to go through that therapy that is uh, uh, increasing her body strength and allow her to recover from that as well. Brother Lee, all that he has uh, asked us to pray for, for the Smithwick family, the Steichen family, uh, for uh, Brother Mike Pillow and Janet Teddy and Tyrone Sanders. Lord, we just ask you that you bless in those situations as well. Uh, praying for Cedric and for, uh, his, uh, for his other son as well, the one that's in uh, Pennsylvania, Darius. We just ask you, Lord, that you bless those young men if they are in school, that you would give them uh, the knowledge that they need in order to do well in their academics. And we're praying for Sister Mary Gibbs and her bereavement as well as Brother Tyrone Davis. Now we're praying for Janelle in St. Louis and J.J. as he's up in Central. We ask you, Lord, that you just bless uh, these two as they have these uh, collegiate concerns on their minds, uh, as they have to study in those books and as they have to get those grades. We just ask you, Lord, uh, that you'd make them diligent students of the academics as well as good students of your word, that their department might be well as well. Continuing in prayer for Veronica Holy and Mike Craft and for Mother McClure, we ask that you would allow her to enjoy her winter in the warm climates, that you keep it warm down there, that she might enjoy herself. We pray for Brother Hokewater's family as they are dealing with his situation. Give them strength in that situation as well. And we're also praying, Lord, for the Winston family, for Brother Jerome and uh, his uh, back problem. We ask you to continue to bless as he recovers from that. And from Sister Winston and her shoulder and Sister Lynn Pointer, we ask you, Lord, and Donna Powell as well. And we ask you, Lord, that you let their son grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Thanking you for Dad, Lord. I'm thanking you for the help that you have given him. All of his functions seem to be going well. And we ask you, Lord, that uh, you would bless that eye doctor as he goes to look into uh, Dad's cataract situation and, and uh, see if he can resolve that. And we know that you have the power and that you can have the power to give him the skill to do which is best. Also thanking you, Lord, that uh, Uncle Jab's kidney uh, was not uh, in any kind of trouble and that he's still doing well. And we're praying, Lord, that you continue to go with him and stand by him. We're praying for Marvin out on the East Coast that he'd be able to uh, keep those kids under control. We're praying for Brother Bowie, who's recovering from a uh, kidney transplant. We're asking that you give him strength as well. And we're praying for Sister Viola Frazier and uh, Brother Leo McGill and our Naomi. Uh, continue to bless all those who are doing well. We're praying, Lord, for Sister Janet Morgan. And we're asking you, Lord, that you continue to help her as she is dealing with those, uh, dealing with that mental situation. And we ask you, Lord, that you would help those things that, that we have given her, Lord, as, as instruction, that she might be able to follow them and that she might be relieved from the bad thoughts that she's having. And we're asking you, Lord, that you would also bless the Northern family down in, in Houston and Brother Perkins and all those young ladies down in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. And also, Brother uh, Russell down in White Hills, we ask you that you allow his wife to have more time with him, even as he's recovering uh, from that virus situation that they've had in the nursing home. Praying for Brother Sivert in Iraq and Sister Diane Flanagan as well. We ask you that you bless her son's leg, keep it strong. Now we're praying, Lord, for the television station, for the Forgotten Man Ministry, for those who are in the armed forces, either here or overseas, that you keep them all safe and bring them home to their families. We're praying for the young men and women in this neighborhood and for the salvation of our family and friends. And our Lord, we thank you for this place that you've given us. 
allow us to continue to parse your word in such a way that it might be beneficial to, beneficial to the hearers and that they might be able to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, I pray for my wife who's the love of my life, and I ask you that you continue to bless her and all that she has to do. Uh, allow that which she does on a daily basis to be beneficial. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given her the skill to take up home repairs now. And we ask you, Lord, that as she does those things, that you continue to bless her. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Of all the men in the history of the world being unjustly accused, Jesus Christ was the first and foremost of them as he suffered, bled, and died on the old rugged cross, having done no sin and having no deceit in his mind. If anyone had a reason to be angry, he did, but rather than becoming angry, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As we remember what Jesus did for us, let us emulate his, his example as we go down from this place. Remember all that Jesus Christ did for us and let us remember him now as we eat and drink together. And may the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest with and abide with us now henceforth and forevermore. Let every heart say, Amen.